Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, alongside a friend of the podcast. First time coming on the show since I've been around, but he has been a regular in the past, the co-managing editor of brewhoop.com, Mitchell Maurer. Mitch, how you doing? I'm doing well, Kane. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. We were just discussing this. I mean, we're both at home. We're both doing the same thing. It's the True. middle of the day on Thursday over here. It's actually it's a beautiful winter's day over here. So I might go and get some sun after we finish uh, recording yeah. here today. But uh, I have to say, this is, and this is kind of hard to believe. And I, I realized this when I was looking through uh, some of the, the stats for the podcast and just seeing where we're at. Uh, episode 200 for me today. Hey, congratulations. It's kind of scary to think uh, that I've already done 200 episodes of Locked On Bucks and I only took over, I, I think, basically around opening night uh, of the start of the season. But mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, we spend a lot of time on this podcast and it's kind of funny to me to think about already. Uh, and, and Frank, I mean, he's done probably, I don't know, he's probably done 700. It's episode 854 <laughs> all up. But I remember when I first started doing this podcast, I was on the phone call with, with David Locke and he was just running through and I guess he was trying to figure out if I was someone he wanted to get to do this. And he said to me, you know, this podcast does really well with Bucks fans. Are you going to be able to keep this audience? And pretty much from that point when he asked me that question, I was extremely nervous about doing it. And for the first few weeks, I was like literally like not sleeping. I was stressing out. I was like, I was like holy shit, is this like a people just, is no one going to listen anymore? Am I going to completely ruin Frank's project? Uh, thankfully, we've been able to keep our head just uh, above water. No, absolutely. And uh, let me be the first to say that I think you've done a tremendous job stepping in. Um, just if only for, by virtue of the, the type of guests that you've been able to get on the show on whatever nights that uh, you know Frank's not available to go. Um, but like getting George Carl uh, more than once, right? I think you just, you just published another app yesterday with, uh, with George Carl as a guest. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean... That's, uh, that's the sort of thing that, uh, that people really respond to is getting that insight. And you, I think ever since you broke onto the scene, you've always been somebody that's just been constantly grinding for what you want. Like, you know, it's a story about you getting to the U.S. and, you know, covering the team basically on your own and just making it work and getting a hell of a lot farther than the rest of us amateurs. Uh, I don't think that anybody has any problems with the way that you've uh, taken on Locked On Bucks, Kane. So I, for one, salute you, and I don't think I'm the only one. Well, I appreciate that. But you know, and I want to get to you here because you know as well as anyone that these last few months has been, you mentioned the word grind. I mean, it has been a grind. If you weren't grinding for content or trying to get people to talk to or guests on the podcast, then you were really going to struggle. Uh, They actually said to us, we can go back to three days a week during the hiatus if we like and i was oh, like no i was like stuff that uh, i'm rolling five i'm rolling five days uh, per week if for no other reason than to uh, fill in two hours of my day while i'm in lockdown <laughs> and in isolation but brew hoop's been rolling 
Uh, how has that been over the last few months? Because, uh, again, uh, let's just say content has been a little scarce. Yeah, no, it's, it's, been, it's been good. The community is just as vibrant as it always has been. Um, honestly, I think that the, uh, the Brew Hoop uh, membership has had, uh, had more to talk about with the, uh, the social unrest yeah. in the U.S. Than, um, than the coronavirus shutdown. And, uh, you know, thankfully, we've been able to maintain Ruhoop as a forum where those sorts of things, even if it's not directly basketball related, we can actually go through those sorts of conversations and have some of those arguments. Um, I, I, I will say this. I have had to do only some community moderation, which is a lot less than I figured I would, given the events and some of the topics involved. Uh, you know, not to name names. Uh, but uh, the, I only had to remove a few bad apples from that particular orchard, which I'm actually very happy about. I think it just really speaks to the the type of readership that we have. Uh, but yeah, with the season coming back in about you know, a little under three weeks now, uh, we're actually getting back to talking about basketball on a regular basis, which I know a lot of people are are happy to hear. Uh, so that if anything, it just gives them something to talk about that isn't you know Mitchell's opinions, because nobody needs more of that. <laughs> well, it's interesting. From a Bucks point of view, these last couple of days have actually been kind of quiet, which I think in this climate is a good thing. The Bucks are back practicing. The guys are talking to the media daily, uh, which is nice for sure. I know Frank retweeted your, I guess, rolling story that you've got going on, mm-hmm. uh, keeping an eye on the Bucks, seeing who's around. Is there any latest updates there? I, I still believe as far as my sleuthing is concerned, we haven't seen Eric Bledsoe yet. Is that the, the main name we're missing? As far as I know, Eric Bledsoe is the biggest name that hasn't yeah. been actively confirmed as uh, being present in the bubble. You know, for whatever reason, like I know he's got a family, so and I'm, I don't care about what the reason is. If it's good enough for the team, it's more than good enough for me. Um, I don't believe uh, Kyle Korver or Pat Connaughton has been in the bubble yet either. Is that correct? You know, you know anything to the contrary? Uh, I, I know, not that I've seen. I thought I saw Kyle Korver there, but I mean, again, uh, the Bucks aren't talking. And as you pointed to, I've been very strong on that. I don't care either. It's none of my business. I don't think it's anyone, any of anyone's business. And I think the guy to look at, uh, James Harden, there were some rumors that he tested positive. And whether he did or he didn't, that's fine. But he's down in Orlando now. He came a little sure. bit later. And as you pointed to, a guy like Bledsoe, for instance, he's got, he's got uh, young kids. And, and that, if you're going to be away for multiple months at a time, if you want to stay a, a week later and the Bucks are happy for that, that's whatever you need to do, man. You know what I mean? Yep. I am, I am right there with him. All right. Let's talk about an old friend of ours. We haven't mentioned this on the podcast yet, Michael Beasley. Now, it, it just feels like, and again, the, there's nothing funny about testing positive to coronavirus. We, we hope that Michael Beasley is fine. We hope he makes a full recovery but he was signed by the Brooklyn Nets. We were laughing about the fact that he still had a five-game suspension to uh, that five-game <laughs> suspension still had to play out, and the Nets have said, hey, we'll sign you anyway. What? You missed the only play three of the regular season games, then we'll bring you back for the first round? Whatever, man. Come, we need players. We're losing everyone uh, by the day. Now he's had to leave the bubble again due to testing positive. This is the most Michael Beasley thing ever, right? I the there are so many things that come to mind whenever you say Michael Beasley, and <laughs> I think everybody has a favorite Michael Beasley memory. Um, 
this this one is up there to get signed by Brooklyn, to get to Orlando, and then just have to turn around and hightail it out of there. Um, it's it's just he's. Just, I don't think that he is necessarily a weird person, but his whole persona, his whole career, is just weird. It's just really weird. It's really quirky. Um, I can't think of another person where that's the series of events that happens. And the general reaction is like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. I, I think you're right. You hit the nail on the head there. When I saw that tweet, I was like, oh, yeah, uh, that sucks, but not surprised at all. Do you have a favorite Michael Beasley Bucks memory on court? And I know I'm, I'm putting you under the, the spotlight here. I didn't warn you about this question. But for me, because sure. the, he was, I mean, he was great in multiple games. The one game I'll still never, ever forget is the one at San Antonio, though. I, I think he had maybe 28 points and really carried the Bucks' offense right through the game. They end up pulling off a win that really no one expected them to pull off. It's, you know, going back a couple of years ago, a win in San Antonio. It just doesn't happen, particularly for, uh, let's say, a mediocre Bucks team. Do you have a favorite sure. Beasley Bucks memory? I can't say that I do. That, that 2016, it was 2016, right? The 16-17 season? Yeah, that sounds was- right. I mean, it's just like Michael Beasley has been around the league for so long, and his time with the Bucks just seems like an eternity ago. Like this is pre Budenholzer, and like most Bucks fans, I've tried to block out all of the time <laughs> that preceded Mike Budenholzer's uh, uh, reign as head coach, just because you know the kid years were so frustrating for so many different reasons. Um, but yeah, like his his personality, like he was well liked in the locker room and he got along really well with everybody and sure he wasn't the most focused defender and sure he didn't necessarily make the best choices when he had the ball with with regards to you know when to shoot and when to shoot because those are the only options with uh where Mike Beasley is concerned but overall he was just a really good dude Uh, I feel like he had a really good shooting year that year like his percentages was really high I'm gonna look this up really fast he was definitely shooting the ball well from three yeah, that was his best shooting year of his career. Uh, 41.9% is the yeah. highest. Uh, second highest was his rookie year in Miami back in 2008, which I don't, I can't remember what I was doing in 2008. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, here's, here's to a quick recovery for uh, Mike Beasley. And uh, I don't know, we'll see who else he signs with uh, you know, to start the 21 season if, uh, you know, if we ever get there. I mean, I have to say, the thought of Michael Beasley playing for the Brooklyn Nets against the Bucks in the first round uh, seems pretty fun to me. I mean, I think for the most part, uh, outside of the fact that we're all desperate to see the Bucks play basketball, I think a first-round series in general. I mean, we think back to last year against Detroit. It was cool for the yep. fact that the Bucks were moving out of the first round, but, but let's be honest, this series sucked. It was awful. The Pistons are a terrible team, so... That, that would that would add some some incentive, uh, I guess, for people to to definitely get excited about that series and to see Beasley because I think a popular figure amongst Buck fans, no doubt about that. Okay, Mitchell, I don't know if you've got a car, but if you do, I would hope if you ever needed any parts, you would go to our friends at RockAuto.com. Rock Auto is a family business serving auto parts customers online, and they've been doing so for twenty years. Go to RockAuto.com to to shop. For auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers, they have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. 
Best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for the professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Just go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. That's locked on, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, in the how-did-you-hear-about-us box and they'll know you came from us. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com the interesting story from the week though and this is this is a little insight into the rules and regulations that the nba are putting in place and i think a good thing for sure that we've seen how seriously they're taking it in regards to uh, breaching protocols breaching the the social distancing leaving the bubble that there is going to be a serious consequence for that rashawn holmes from the sacramento kings left the bubble or crossed the line <laughs> to pick up some food. I don't think it's been confirmed what food it was unless I've missed it, but a 10-day quarantine. Now, let's think about this from a Bucks point of view. Rashawn Holmes, and, and listen, it's the Kings, so this is a team that we're not expecting to be in the postseason. Sure. But if any Bucks player makes a mistake, a 10-day quarantine could be brutal during a play a playoff series it's it's a pretty serious penalty no it could be but it also depends on who it is right like if you go through <laughs> yeah, the yeah, roster yeah. like like it's not necessarily like everybody on the roster is a goody two-shoes but like Giannis <laughs> isn't going to screw up and leave inadvertently like that guy is here strictly on business and doesn't want to jeopardize that. Like the fact that he came to the bubble already with all the, everything else going on and the potential risk of exposure, you know, the fact that he's got a young son at home as well. Like he's not coming down here just to have fun. He's coming down here to compete for a championship. So I don't see him doing anything that would jeopardize his availability for that. And, you know, ditto for Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, Eric Bledsoe, you know, once he gets to the bubble, like everybody on the Bucks is an adult. Um, I can't. I can't even think of anybody that I would like, like. Like, there's nobody on the team right now where it's the same as with Mike Beasley, where you would see them, you know, do something that's maybe maybe not the <laughs> wisest choice, and be like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense. That guy would definitely do." It. Like, like not not to cast aspersions because I was a big fan of his, but like Larry Sanders from way back when. Right. Like, if Larry Sanders got busted for, and somebody called the snitch hotline on Larry Sanders for exiting the bubble when he shouldn't have, like that would make more sense. But even like somebody like Pat Connaughton or Dante DiVincenzo, even, you know, as young as he is, like, I don't, I just don't see it. Like who's, well, seriously, who's the most likely player to leave the bubble on the bucks. It's gotta be Brooke or Robin trying to yes. take another trip <laughs> yes. to Disney world. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. So I always started like, when you were running through the players, because I a hundred percent agree with you. That the Bucks, uh, you use the word adult, and it's funny to use the word adult, but you're right. I mean, we have a very mature group here in Milwaukee. They're family men. They're, they're, they're about winning. They're about playing basketball. They're not down in the bubble getting up to no good. The two guys that would be an inherent risk would be the Lopez brothers because uh, they've got the temptation. The temptation is there for them, and it's a completely innocent temptation. They want to go ride some rides and get some photos with, you know, Mickey Mouse or some other Disney characters. Like, it's, it's not a... Sure a dangerous risk that they want to take, but they've got social media. They've got Twitter. They see that these crazy people are taking their families down to Disney and going on a holiday, which is a completely different topic. And it's just absolutely absurd to me, but 
uh, they're, they're, the risk is there and, and they're going to be looking at that. So do I think it's going to happen? No. Uh, but, but would the Bucks have to potentially um, have their rooms on, on 24-hour security watch to ensure that they don't sneak out during the night onto Disney grounds? Uh, maybe. I mean, stranger things have happened. <laughs> we, we, know, we all know that much. So let me get back to Larry Sanders, though. You mentioned him. Now, he, he does this at least once a year, so we all know that. He does it once a year that he says he's, he's ready for NBA comeback. He wants to play in the NBA. And a lot of the times, I think it's just a you know, attention thing. I don't think he's actually serious, even though uh, we did see him uh, play a couple of games for Cleveland, I believe, a, a few seasons back. But uh, I, and he I, was not good. No, I don't think that should surprise anyone. I, I think he uh, recently had some hint or suggested something that he was going down to Florida or something and ready to play. And again, it might've been completely uh, tongue in cheek, but if anyone follows him on Instagram and sees the things he's been up to down in Florida, uh, he's, he's out on boats, he's at bars, he's out at restaurants. He's just getting out there in Florida, man. He is having a good time down there. And uh, let's just say it doesn't seem that he would be a player that would be tied to the protocols of an NBA bubble. Yeah, probably not. But uh, I hear that Brooklyn is looking for help. So who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Brooklyn's trying to take over Detroit. They've got Michael Beasley. Uh, they're looking for all former Bucks players. The Pistons aren't in the, in the postseason this year. They're not playing. So Brooklyn want to be that uh, Milwaukee G League team. Next thing I want to bring up, and I don't know how you feel about college basketball. Anyone that's listened to me speak about college basketball before, this is definitely tied to the fact that I am Australian. I don't, didn't go to a college. I don't have any emotional connection to a school. But yesterday in my timeline, lots of Marquette fans are getting excited about the basketball tournament, the $1 million wow. tournament. Travis Dina, like I said, winner, winner, chicken Dina, game winner, $1 million. <laughs> what did you think? Did you watch this game? Did you care about this game? Did it mean anything to you? Uh- it didn't to me. Um, I actually, I when I was um, when I was graduating high school, I think I graduated high school the year after Marquette made because the Travis it was Travis Diener and Dwayne Wade and I think Steve Novak was on that team too, right? Yeah, it was like the right. three of them and that, and that uh, Marquette team that made that big run. Um, I had applied to get to Marquette for college and I had gotten in, but. It turns out that uh, tuition at Marquette is quite pricey, and it was uh, <laughs> outside of my range. And so I opted to go to UW Milwaukee instead because you know money is money is what mattered. But uh, you know I, I had a lot of affinity for for that team just because it was you know it was cool to see a team from Milwaukee do well in the tourney. Um, but like after I mean it's been so long for me, and uh, you know after I left, you know after I moved away. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't really keep up with, with any the, the Bucks are really the only hometown team that I really truly kept up with. So I, uh, I didn't watch the game. I did definitely see the highlight and I will say this, he absolutely nailed that shot. That was a frantic final possession to, uh, to get, find him open in the corner. So the fact that he still had, you know, the muscle memory to, uh, to hit a shot like that with all that pressure, you know, even for the, you know, it's not the most competitive environment compared to what he did, you know, a decade ago, but you know, that's, that's, that's a hell of a shot. So credit to him, you know, glad that he had to get that uh, press conference after the game <laughs> and, uh, and everything else that followed it. So yeah, very, very happy for him. So the ending to that game though, we saw it in the all-star game as well, the Elam ending. There's been some people that have said, why don't we have this for NBA overtime periods? I'm kind of intrigued by it. 
I mean, it was interesting in the All-Star game where they had a, a target score. So it's not like they went into the fourth quarter with the scores tied as you would in an NBA overtime. It's exciting though. I mean, r- rather than battling against a clock, uh, having a target score and understanding that you're within one possession, one shot as that Marquette team was, it adds something. It does make it feel like every basket means more than it normally would. Do you like at all entertaining the idea that this could be an NBA overtime uh, inclusion moving forward? And maybe not for postseason, but I could see it in the regular season being something that you could throw in there. I, I love the concept of the Elam ending. I love how it works in practice. The, the only thing that I struggle with when applying it to an NBA game is the fact that, and, and maybe this is just me being a curmudgeon and being too much of a traditionalist, but it just has not been how games have been played for forever. Basically, yeah. it was it's all been based on the clock ever since you know it was founded. You know, back in the days of George Mikan, uh, you know, it's all the fact that you can't tie is something that I really enjoy about basketball. It's not too often that you know, get a game that goes into you know triple, quadruple, quintuple overtime. Um, all that said, you know, tradition aside, you know, the Elam ending is just more fun, more entertaining, you know, more intense for everybody who's participating. Uh, I was, I was going over the rules of it earlier today. And, uh, you know, it looks like at a certain point in the game, they'll, uh, they'll just add a certain number to whichever team has the higher score at that point. And like, once you hit that number, that's what you win. And that just is like, it puts the pressure on the win, the team that's leading to execute and to actually go out there and get, you know, get the buckets that you need to get to secure it. And, but for the team that's behind, like that puts you in like instinct, it's go time. Like you have to score to survive just to catch up and then also, you know, maintain it, not just, you know, to try and tie the game. Um, it's the sort of thing that's a lot of fun. And between the fact that it just isn't how things have been done, in the NBA and the fact that it is more complicated and, you know, it's more difficult to explain that than the status quo. I can see that being a reason why it wouldn't be applied, but uh, you know, I, I, the G league is an excellent ex, uh, laboratory for sure. experiments like this. I think that's definitely a direction the NBA should go. What do you think about that? Well, the G league, that's interesting. You bring that up because uh, this season or the 2020 season, I didn't get a chance to get to a herd game, but I, I did last year. I got to a couple and one of the games went to overtime. I, I think it actually went to triple overtime. It was one, one of those games where Christian Wood was just going absolutely bananas. And uh, mm. it threw me off that they had the two minute overtime. And I love that. I love the two minute overtime. That was awesome. I, I think that the point you make about double overtime, triple overtime games, I, I love that, and I, I don't really want to lose that, particularly in the postseason. I think about that that crazy uh, Bulls-Celtics series from, uh, I think it was like 2009, 2010. It was awesome where they had a couple of double overtime and triple overtime games. That's fantastic. I don't think you want yeah. to take that away. But during the regular season, like if you're telling me scores are tied at the end of regulation and you just say, okay, first one to 10 in the overtime period, it's pretty cool. I, I, I could probably get around that. I don't think I'd be touching the postseason, but you might be right. I think the NBA has used the G League in this situation a couple of times and potentially trialing that for a season might be uh, might be the way to go. But it's fun. There's no doubt about that. It's an exciting uh, way to end a game.
anyone that listens to this podcast knows that I listen to the No Dunks podcast almost daily, almost daily. I love it. It's an entertaining show. And this brings us to our next topic because on yesterday's podcast, there was some talk about Chris Middleton and basically around his ability to produce in the playoffs. So this was on No Dunks, but also I guess we did talk about this with George Carl on yesterday's show. Again, if you missed that, that was a fascinating chat with him, having him back on the show. But Big Waz was the guest. If anyone doesn't follow him or doesn't know his work, he's a podcaster on the Athletic Network. And he was talking about Chris Middleton and how good he's been this season. And he said he described his season as the season that people think Jason Tatum has had. And when he said that, I was like, you know, that's pretty damn good. Because a lot of the times people will ask me about Chris Middleton and I'll say, well, he's been an All-NBA player this year. He's played at that level. He's been unbelievable. Do I listen to what people think could be an issue in the postseason? Yes. Do I understand that? Absolutely. And I even understand when people don't know how good he's been if they haven't watched the Bucs on a nightly basis. But putting it out like that, he's had the season people think Jason Tatum's had. That seemed pretty damn fitting to me. Absolutely. Jason Tatum's gotten a ton of hype. And part of it is deserved. Like, he's in his third season, and he's already, you know, achieving some pretty notable milestones statistically. You know, he's a tall, rangy forward that can do a lot of different things. You know, his defense improved. Like, there's a lot of things to like about Jason Tatum. Um, The fact that he plays in a bigger market like Boston with such a storied history, like, sure, it makes sense that people would want to to glom onto him as, you know, the next big thing for the Celtics. But, you know, Chris Middleton is just currently better. Now, I think that one of the major arguments for anybody that does, you know, want to be wrong and try to argue that Tatum is, you know, the guy that deserves the hype and Middleton isn't, um, is that, you know, Chris is clearly the second best player on his team, whereas Tatum, it's a little bit more murky, where, you know, between Tatum and, uh, and Kemba Walker. And, you know, depending on health and, uh, and you know, how close he's to being his old self, Gordon Hayward, um, with, you know, Jalen Brown around there as well. Uh, there's there's a lot more talent that's kind of around the same tier in Boston, whereas in Milwaukee, you know, everything revolves around Giannis as well it should be, and then everybody else is really a supporting cast member, essentially. But with the way that Chris improved this season, you know, he's putting up 20-plus points. He's just a hair under 50-40-90 shooting splits for the season. You know, his per 36 numbers are way better. Um, than Tatum's, like his offensive rating, his defensive rating. I'm, I'm looking at his basketball reference page right now, just a comparison page. And there's a lot of similarities between the two of them, but Middleton just does more and he's more efficient in less time. His assist percentage is seven points higher than Tatum's. His you know turnover percentage is a little bit higher. You know, So maybe Tatum takes a little bit better care of the ball when he's asked to be a playmaker, but you know, Tatum's the one that's on higher usage, and he's just he's not producing as much. And part of that is because Chris is on a historically good team, which the Bucks are this year. But like overall, I, I and it's also made to be based on you know expectations because Jason Tatum's a top five pick, and Chris was a second round pick that was a throw in in the uh, infamous Brandon Knight Brandon Jennings trade back in 2013. So you know the fact that he wasn't expected to be this megastar that maybe Tatum is expected to be. Yeah, I've, I've never I've never really been in love with Tatum as a prospect or as a player. Like, I recognize that he's good. He's productive. You know, I certainly wouldn't turn down 
uh, a call for the Celtics if they were trying to offload Tatum onto my team. But uh, I'm, I am more than happy with Chris Middleton where he is and uh, Chris Middleton where he will continue to be for the foreseeable future. Yeah, if you look at Chris Middleton's numbers uh, across the season, they're pretty even. Now, Tatum, it, it's stuck in everyone's mind that he's having this absolutely fantastic season because his February was outrageous, and we need to acknowledge that. Uh, across 12 games, he averaged over 30 points per game, eight rebounds, three assists. He was shooting at 48% from three. I mean, he was absurd. If you remember some of those games, uh, the ones against both LA teams, but particularly that game against the Lakers where he dropped 40 on a, I think it was a Sunday afternoon ABC showcase game. He was sensational. So that's what stuck in everyone's mind. Outside of that scorching hot season, though, the numbers do drop off a little bit. And even in March, I know we only got four games in and then the season was uh, completely brought to a halt. But in four games in March, he was only averaging 24 points and his shooting splits had gone down to 42, 41, 66. So outside of that insane February, uh, Tatum's numbers are not close to Middleton across the board when you take into account all the things you mentioned with the efficiency. I am glad that you mentioned his age, though, because let's be honest, this isn't a question of who's going to be a better player long-term because I, I think even the most... Uh, one-eyed Homer Bucks fans would have to say Jason Tatum in the long range is probably going to have a higher higher ceiling than Chris Milton. I think that's fine to accept. Jason Tatum sure. is twenty; he's twenty-two years old right now. And as much as we have a little rivalry going on with the Celtics, what he's doing as a twenty-two-year-old is amazing. And when you look at guys, these are pretty basic numbers. But if you do a, a single-season search for guys age twenty-two or younger requiring 20.7 rebounds and a three-point field goal percentage of greater than 35%, which Tatum is clearing all those numbers very easily. You're talking about guys, Kevin Durant, Dirk Nowitzki, LeBron James, Tracy McGrady, uh, Jason Tatum obviously is in there, Joel Embiid, Chris Webber, John Collins, Sharif Abdurrahim, and Kevin Love. So, I mean, you're talking about some some all-time great players and then certainly some all-star caliber level players. So Jason Tatum's fantastic. It just got overblown in the national media, how fantastic he's been all season long uh, because he was in the spotlight. He had that that scorching hot run uh, in and around the All-Star break, uh, but he was cooling off as the season ended. He was cooling off, so let's keep that in mind. Yeah, I mean, it's just like anything in basketball. Like, it's a game of trends. It's all about, like, how many runs you can go on versus how many runs you give up to the other team. And everybody's season is going to go through hot, streaks and and cool spells just like anybody will like chris is very well known at least before this year for being a particularly streaky player like i know he had a really slow start uh the season prior uh he just happened to be like super super consistent and he was ready from the jump this season you know and uh he's he's at the point where he's in you know jason tatum as well before his uh physical prime whereas middleton is even though middleton by strictly by NBA superstar standards, isn't a good athlete. By human standards, he's one of the best athletes that's ever lived because, you know, there's only so many players in the NBA that can even just exist on a court, much less thrive. But, uh, you know, he's, his game is going to age really, really well. And he's reached the point where he just, he understands the game. He understands his role, what he needs to do. Like he was the one that managed to get Budenholzer to back off on the, uh, the no mid-rangers uh, rule that was in place, and you know he's he's shooting particularly well from those uh, those spots on the floor where maybe they're not ideal shots, but you get him taking them, they turn into pretty good shots when they go in more often than not. 
Yeah, no question. I, the numbers, and this is off the top of my head because I was looking at these yesterday prior to the conversation with George Carl, but uh, mid-rangers per game, Chris Middleton has gone from 4.5 up to 5.2 per game this season, and the shooting percentages have gone from 43% up to 52%. So 52% on five mid-rangers per game seems like pretty good math to me. That seems like a shot uh, you want to keep getting for him. Uh, I do have some concerns, like everyone else, that what is this break going to do to a guy like him and the other guy, of course, I think about is George Hill, who is leading the league in three-point percentage. But we're really not going to know until these guys get back out on the court. Yeah, it's, it's going to be weird no matter what. Like, the entire environment is – like, nobody has ever done this where you right. go through two-thirds of the season and then it just stops. And it stops for a long time. You know, and I know that Chris said that he hadn't touched the basketball in two or three months or something. Um, I there's lots there's tons of guys in the league that were in that same because you can't plan for this. There's no way to plan for this. There's there's zero way to predict what anybody is going to look like once they actually tip off at the end of July. Um, but you know this this team had really come together and they really understand each other. They know who likes to get what spots and what works really well for one another and. And they're just going to, once they get back into that groove, I have no reason to believe that they're not going to, you know, pick it. I think they're going to pick it up more quickly than, uh, than most. So speaking of games coming back uh, really soon now, I keep mentioning it, but we are literally days away from the Bucks and Spurs scrimmage, preseason game, whatever the hell you want to call it. Uh, what's in store for Brew Hoop? You got the whole crew back in. I know Bucks Film Room's been doing some stuff with you guys. Uh, my guy, Gabe Stoltz, is sitting next to him at so many games over the last two seasons. <laughs> is he going to be back on the game blog? What What should we expect? No, that, that's exactly what you'll expect. Uh, Gabe is going to be doing coverage for us. Uh, Kyle Carr is going to be yep. uh, manning Twitter, just like we, uh, we know that he's so talented at. Uh, myself and Adam Paris are going to be in there as well. Like, we're, we're going to do our very best. You know, everybody's – most everybody, I think, is working from home uh, on the Brew Hoop staff. I'm trying – I'm running through the names in my head. There's, there's a couple of people that I know that have, are in uh, a tougher position than, uh, than, some, than some others. Me, myself, I'm very lucky that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just able to post up at the makeshift desk in my bedroom and, you know, I, I'm just able to pick and go with my day job like nothing ever changed. So uh, we're, we're going to be able to figure it out. We're going to be able to make sure that we are, are making everything available the way that we would in a normal season, you know, breaking stuff down, getting, you know, Brian uh, Bucks from will be, you know, doing some stuff with video. We'll make sure that we, you know, we create that forum where we can really have those interesting conversations and vigorous debates about what the team should do, what they should have done differently, you know, what maybe they could have done if, if things don't go well during the restart, which, I'm not expecting, but hey, it's a weird world right now. So stranger things have happened. Um, yeah, we're 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 excited to get back into it. We really are. I don't think anybody is not excited that basketball is back. You know, all the risks uh, and everything else that is a part of it. I think that this is going to be a welcome reprieve from the very, very, very long. Uh, let's. I don't even know what to call it. But every, everything since March in the United States has just been bizarre. And not bizarre in a good way for the, for the majority of people. Um, so this will be, be a nice reprieve from that, I can, I can assure you. No, it's, it's hard to believe that it's been four months. I was uh, texting with a friend back in Milwaukee yesterday 
and uh, it was the first time we'd really spoke since I left. And the last message I had um, from her was basically saying, uh, you know, fly home safe. We'll see you back here in a couple of weeks when things settle down. And, and that was, that was literally my thought process when I left. I, I remember I, yep. I said to my friends, I said, I'll be back in a month. I just got to get out of here and, and make sure I, I can, I can be in a position where if I need any assistance medically, I can do that. And here we are four months later and I don't think I'm coming back anytime soon. It's been crazy, but Australian football's back. We've seen soccer and some other sports, baseball, trying to make some sort of comeback. And despite all the risks being there, and the, the whole coronavirus COVID thing is still there and it's a, a dark shadow over all of it. I can tell you that uh, watching the sports is, it gives you an hour or two to get away from that. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure you keep up with all the coverage from Brew Hoop. They do a fantastic job. And Mitchell, it's been far too long. It, it was far too long before I got you on here. I should say I'll spit that out, um, but I'm glad we did. And I dare say with all the crazy game times we've got coming on and, and all the, the weird stuff that we're going to be seeing down in Disney, I, I wouldn't think it would be too long before you're back. I'm inclined to agree. It has been too long, and hopefully it won't be long until the next time. Well, I appreciate you. That's Mitchell Mary. You can get him, uh, Mitchell underscore MBA. Is that right? That is me. That's me. I've got his Twitter handle uh, just at the, at the back of my head. I, I know that one off by heart. That might be a little bit weird, but make sure you follow him. Follow Brew Hoop. Support those guys over there. And as far as this network goes... Don't forget to check out the Locked On NBA podcast. Not just Buck specific. They're talking about everything that's going on down in the bubble as the NBA tries to get this thing going. As far as we go, we will be back tomorrow. We appreciate you guys listening. Stay safe out there and we'll talk to you guys then.